Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, with Pastor John King. Today uh, we're going to be uh, finishing up 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to cover verses 13 through 17 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me just uh, kind of catch up. Some of you, again, who are stepping into the study. From last week, we saw that our, it, in our letter how Paul addressed some unresolved issues. Remember, that's the reason why he's writing this letter. Uh, and there's some unresolved issues among the church concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together with Him. In other words, the day of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And they had a lot of confusion about that because there were contradictory rumors. Uh, there were teachings and there was actually a false letter apparently being circulated among the churches in Thessalonica. And they were claiming to be from Paul and they were trying to tell the people that, hey, you missed it. You missed the boat, man. The, the rapture's already happened and now you're in the great tribulation. And to them it would add up because they were under more intense persecution. And this, was, uh, this letter was written about a, a year past uh, the first letter. And so it was having a very negative effect. So Paul uh, wants to correct those things. And, and despite the wonderful things that God's doing in this church, it's an amazing church, uh, we, we're always reminded that Satan is still at, also at work with his agenda and his lies and his deception. So what does Paul do? Well, he does what we're going to do again today. And he kind of re- he goes over what he had already taught them. He reviews what he he uh, you know what the day of the Christ means. Uh, that the fact that it has not come yet, and in fact he gives two things that must happen on the on the the eschatological timeline before the day of the Lord, before the rapture, or after the right after the rapture, and that is uh, a great apostasy. A worldwide apostasy, turning against God, and then, of course, the revealing of the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness. So if you missed that message, you can go to calvaryecity.org, and you can pull up uh, all the message. Uh, We've got all our teachings online. Uh, We also have a podcast. But today, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2. Again, as I said, we'll be going through the last verses of chapter 2. And if you remember from the beginning of chapter 2, when Paul said, I I beg or I beseech you not to be shaken by the false teachings concerning the rapture and the day of the Lord, much of what we just said. In other words, he, he said, you need to stand firm in the things that we have taught you and that I have taught you. So today, Paul is going to conclude chapter 2 with the same exhortation. He's going to tell them, hey, in verse 15, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught. And also, what we're going to see today, which is a good thing, uh, Paul has got a very balanced ministry. He's going to transition from the prophetic teaching over to the pastoral teaching to comfort the church. And he's going to give them details of the wonderful truth concerning salvation in Christ. For those of us who love His appearing, you know, He's already told them about the end times. We, we're, we're learning about it. You see it all the time, uh, people making claims. But you can't stay there in that part of Scripture. You have to see the whole Scripture and all of the Bible has to say. And so Paul, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, he seeks to give them comfort. 
and uh, he's also wanted to give them some kind of lights, lights of hope, you know, in this journey, their journey that they're on as they follow, because the days are dark and, and dreary for them. They're under a, a intense persecution. We read from Isaiah 42.16 this morning. I'd like to read it again. Uh, 42.16 of chapter uh, 42 of Isaiah, sorry. I will not... Or he's, he, but God makes this declaration to the people. And he, and he says, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. And I will make darkness light before them and the crooked places straight. And sometimes when we're going through life uh, and we're going through tough times in life, he says, I will do these things for them. He concludes that verse. He says, I will do these things for them. And notice he says, and not forsake them. And so when you and I seek the Lord for his guidance, for his leading, you know, things are crooked. The path is, is twisty and turny. The, the light seems kind of dim. Look to the Lord. Look to his word. Now, from the very beginning of today's passage, he's going to lay out for us, if you're taking notes, three simple truths involving uh, all, and it really involves all three of the divine persons of the Trinity. Three simple truths that involves all three of the divine persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First of all, that they are beloved by the Lord Jesus loved by the Lord Jesus. Secondly, chosen for salvation by God the Father. And then third, called and sanctified by God the Holy Spirit. Why? In order to someday gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's going to be our message for today. Uh, I was going to read the passage, but I think we're just going to break it up. I'm not going to read the entire passage. We'll, we'll just kind of move forward. What I'd like to do right now is let's just bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to bless this, or this teaching. Father God, we thank You for bringing us to this place, Lord God. There, there may be many here today, um, and You know, only You know the true heart of man. But there may be several here today who are looking at this world and and... You know, looking at the twists and turns and the confusion that's out there, seeing the darkness. There may be some here today who are actually walking in darkness and walking a crooked path through life. And Lord, it's your intention. We know, Father, that you're the initiator and you seek to help bring them and you, you won't for, forsake us, as your word says. You seek to help us seek to help us see the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. You want to bring us to a wide place and a, and a solid path through this life. And so, Lord, with that in mind, we come to Your Word today and we ask, Lord God, that You would simply speak to our hearts, edify us and strengthen us. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we start verses 13 through 14 with the fundamental truths concerning your salvation. And these two verses really encapsulate the entire salvation message. These are beautiful verses if you want to understand all that went into you becoming a Christian. In fact, it's been said that these two verses contain the total spectrum of salvation. Verses 13 and 14. He says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, 
Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Verse 14, To which He called you by our Gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's the whole message of salvation. He starts out in verse 13. He says we are bound. Um, but he, he says something that's very important. Beloved brethren by the Lord. So he identifies them. He's speaking of who we are in Christ, and that is loved by the Lord. And so he's immediately seeking to bring them comfort by reminding them of Jesus' love for them. And that he and his companions are thankful for them. And we say it uh, from time to time. You know, uh, we're thankful for one another. But sometimes we need to go the extra, uh, you know, little bit, a little step and say, and here's why I'm thankful for you. Here's why I'm thanking God for you. Uh, that's We're talking about a marriage retreat. We're talking about how important that is in relationships and marriage, but also as one another, you know, one another in the body of Christ. The word beloved, normally, now you think, well, okay, I get the fact that I'm loved by Jesus, but this has a very special meaning in the Greek because uh, normally it means to welcome, to entertain, or to be fond of, or to love dearly, as we would understand it. But here, uh, notice that it refers specifically to being sanctified or to be set apart and made holy by God. I mean, after all, that is what He has done having washed us in His blood. He has set us apart holy. Now, we, we don't see ourselves as holy because we're fully aware of the flesh that we still reside in. And we're fully aware of the sin that we still struggle with. But God sees you and I as holy because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And He can only see the Lord in us. Because God the Father cannot be, uh, you know, He cannot be in the presence of evil. But through Christ, we come to Him. And so His eternal love is proven now as we continue through the will of the Father. John 3.16 For God so... Does anybody remember the rest of that? For God so loved... Amen. And you could probably go on and on. I know some people who are memorizing Scripture right now and helping us. And so it's, it's proven... Our, his eternal love, by what we just said, is proven by the... The will of the Father, God so loved, and it is also proven by the work of the Son. Romans 5.8, we don't have a slide for that. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's proven. It's proven by His actions. He doesn't, these aren't just words. These are actions. His love in action to us. And so Paul wants to get, he starts out that, and then he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. And as we learned last week, that word to be bound, is it means to be under a moral obligation to thank God for the work and the response that they have to God's work in their life. And why do we thank God? Because we know that God is the sovereign source of all faith and love. 
And so Paul's just, you know, he's just getting started here. He's trying to take them, you know, from that eschatology, from the, the judgment of, of the unrighteous, all the necessary truths that we need. And now he is, as an apostle and as a, as a shepherd, he's now comforting them. Believers. This is a message for believers, for Christians. This is the fifth time in two letters that Paul expresses thanks to God for how these Thessalonians are responding to God's work in their lives. Now by contrast, I can only find one mention of of Paul thanking God for the congregation he was writing to in the book of Corinthians. You know, the two letters of Corinthians. Really long letters. Only one time. I don't know, maybe they were giving him a hard time. When you read Corinthians, you understand that they had a lot of issues. He still loved them. And in most of his letters, as we've been going through, he does. He says in the beginning, I thank God for my remembrance of you. But he says it five times here to the Thessalonians. So, the first thing he says, not only are we bound, to give thanks. Now he starts to lay out, and this is very important for you and I. I want to encourage you, I'll probably say it more than once today. Learn how to map out your salvation by able by being able to sit down and write out in your own handwriting, you and the Lord, how it is that you came to Christ. It may be the circumstances you were in, it may be people who spoke into your life. At that time in your, your time of need, because this is we're going to go through this little map. It starts out number one: you and I were chosen by God for salvation. We were chosen by God. God the Father is the initiator, so we need to have that solid in our hearts and minds that He chose us. In fact, He chose us from before He created the earth before the foundations of the earth Ephesians 1:4 He is the originator of your salvation your soteria He chose you the word it means to take for oneself a choice that's been made by God before the foundation of the earth so write that down first of all your step to salvation was the fact that you were chosen by God and God is the originator he provides the security. When you and I, and this is a challenge, this is a challenge, the type of questions that get asked among Christians or from others wondering, can I lose my salvation? It's like something might have fell out of your pocket or you left at the office. You know, it's such a trite thing to say, honestly. But it's a question that many people have. And God answers by His Word. Can I lose my salvation? John 10, verses 27 through 29. Write that down. John 10, verses 27 through 29. And this is what it says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So Paul has given them these basics. You know, I don't know what kind of debates they were having back then, but I know that he's keeping it simple and straightforward. God is the originator of your salvation. The next step towards your salvation is that God acted upon you. God 
acted upon you. He, he knew before all the foundation of the earth you, who you would become, but then he, at some point in time, and this is part of your testimony, He acted upon you. Why? Because we were dead in our sin and we needed to be born again, John 3.3. 3. And He acted upon us by means of sanctification. Sanctification. That is a word... Uh, that can, you know, it sounds like a churchy. It's a Christianese word, right? What does it mean? Well, it means to be set aside, to be consecrated, to be purified, separated to God of your heart and your life, or as we said earlier, to be made holy. He did it. You say, well, I don't see myself as being all that holy. He's working on you. <laughs> He's working on me by His grace. But know this. He sees you. He acted upon you. So He knew you before the foundation of the earth that you would receive Christ. He acted upon you. And a little side note from Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may know who Charles Spurgeon is. The great pastor, the prince of pastors from the 1800s. He said this about salvation without sanctification. You know, kind of being saved, but no change in your life. You're not, there's nothing evident that you have surrendered to the Lord. He said this, quote, Had it been possible for you to have had salvation without sanctification, it would have been a curse to you instead of a blessing. If such a thing were possible, I cannot conceive of a more lamentable condition than for a man to have the happiness of salvation without the holiness of it. Happily, it is not possible, he writes. If you could be saved from the consequences of sin, but not from the sin itself and its power and its pollution, it would have been no blessing to you. So he has set us apart. He has sanctified. So God knew you from before the foundation of the world. He acted upon you. And he used the Holy Spirit to do that. God acted upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, there was a time in your life, maybe several times, before you finally had eyes to see the Gospel and the truth and your need. But He moved upon your heart. He stirred you to repentance. John 16.8 It says that when the Holy Spirit, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Part of your testimony as you retrace your steps, some of you have been saved for decades, was that the Holy Spirit got a hold of your heart and mind and caused you to move forward. In other words, the Holy Spirit brought life. The King James Version says He quickens. What He did was He brought life and a heart for the Gospel message. That's in John 6.33. And so Paul writes, he says... God had acted upon us by the Holy Spirit and back to our text, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God the Holy Spirit, again, emphasizing His work and power. The Holy Spirit of God enabling a person to see the Gospel as never before. You know, the statistics are kind of funny. You know, average person hears the Gospel message seven times before they finally surrender unto the Lord. Whatever it is, you finally reach a point in your life where it all makes sense. You see it like you've never seen before. And the Holy Spirit of God stirs in your heart of a person. Now comes your part, and that is to respond by coming 
to Christ. You respond because of all the work that God has done in your life. And up to that point. And then in John 7.37, Jesus said this. He said, uh, He was speaking at uh, at the temple. He says, On the last day, that great day of the feast... Jesus stood and cried out. and In a public place, He stood and cried out. And here's what Jesus said. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me. So you see, response is required. Let him come to Me and drink. He's been working on your heart. He's been preparing you. And He says, Paul, He says, By the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now here... Faith is what's translated into belief. Having been chosen by God and your heart has been made receptive to His call, now you're ready to respond. And we finally believe in the truth and become His child. Amen. Amen. That was your day. That was the day, the hour, whatever it was that you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it it's certainly got different circumstances, different times and seasons of your life, different parts of the world where you live, but it's all the same. You came to know the Lord. And you believed in the truth. You believed in the truth. Well, what is the truth? Well, it's the Word of God and everything that it says. You may not understand everything that it says, but the truth is the Word of God and everything that it says. And so my question, I've asked you earlier, and I'll ask you again. Have you traced your steps to the cross of Jesus Christ? Can you recall a time in your life when He acted upon you by His Spirit? He stirred your heart. And He gave you eyes to see your desperate need. And He gave you ears to hear the call. And then you came to Christ with a genuine belief and trust. I highly recommend that if you have never done that, or maybe it's been a long time since you've sat down and you've traced your steps, and I understand that maybe you were going through such a difficult time in your life, you don't care to go back there at all. I understand that. But think about what the Lord has done. Now we move to verse 14. I told you this is a very comprehensive thing. 14, it says, to which He called you by our Gospel. Why? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's not just I'm here on earth and I'm saved now and I live a better life and the Lord's sanctifying me and He's slowly molding me into His shape, but it's also the fact that we're predestined for glory. Glory in the Lord. He said, which He called you by our Gospel. The Gospel is an invitation. The Gospel is the good news. It's the glad tidings of salvation through Christ. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, in order for God to fulfill His eternal plan, He sent Paul, Silas, and Timothy to Thessalonica to preach the Word of God. What was ordained in eternity was accomplished in time. God used human instruments to bring the gospel to the lost. And by trusting Christ, these people proved their election to God. The call of God went out to the whole city, but it was effective only in those who believed the truth and trusted Christ. So He called you. 
He said, to which He called you by our Gospel for the obtaining of the glory or for obtaining or to possess or to gain or to share in God's glory. One day, we will share in the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a most glorious condition. It's the most exalted state there is. What began in eternity past, says one writer, reaches its climax in eternity future. We share in the glory of God. And that's the promise that he's making here. What begins with grace always leads to glory. If you receive it. Amen? Now, I've said it earlier, we notice how balanced Paul's teaching ministry is. He's taken them from the details of the end times all the way back to their divine election and then the promise of a future glory in Christ. I mean, what a picture, you know, like a panoramic view of life in Christ and God's plan for the world. And that's what we have right here in the Bible for us. And so it's, it's good. That's why we stay in the Bible at Calvary Chapel. We go through every single book of the Bible one at a time. Because we want all of God's counsel. We don't want to be out of balance. We don't want to be out of whack. Always talking about this or always talking about that. We want to hear all that God has to say. Even the hard things, the difficult things. There's another thing to consider. You know, how people can get confused. And it's because, you know, you can certainly have your, your faith sort of derailed by circumstances. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote this, it was the case with the Thessalonians that their doctrinal derailment with regard to the end times, uh, he said suffering can frequently cause theological disorientation and disillusionment. Dark days of suffering lead to forgetfulness of such core doctrines as the goodness of God, the hope of salvation, and the promise that the Spirit has been given to you and I as our comforter. Suffering believers need gentle instruction to reassure and reorient them to bring God's promises back into focus. So if you're ministering to somebody or you're discipling somebody or you're, you're sharing uh, you know, this walk in Christ together with somebody who's going through a difficult time, don't try to give them solutions. Don't try to tell them, oh, this, you need to do this, you need to do that. Remind them of what they may have forgotten if they've lost hope. And you know what? You and I are commanded to believe these basics, these fundamental truths. Because without faith, it's impossible to believe God. We can't even begin to approach the Lord and experience a personal relation with Him without faith. Faith is the atmosphere in which the believer's life is lived. And you and I are called believers because we are continually and I mean continually, putting our faith, trust, and confidence in God one step at a time. And by faith, says one writer, the Christian life begins, and by faith it perseveres until the end. So there again, those two verses. Now, verse 15, the next fundamental truth concerning your salvation. First it was, you need to believe it. And then the next fundamental truth here in verse 15 is you need to guard it. You need to protect it. And he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, 
whether by word or our epistle. You know, with all the things that he's just said in this in this two passages, with all those things in mind, you need to stand fast. You need to stand fast. Do not move away from the truth of the gospel. We say it often, David Guzikrin. When we see the word therefore, it means that Paul wants us to consider what he has written up to this point. And in this letter. He has given compelling reasons why Christians must stand fast and not be moved. If you're taking notes, four good reasons why we must stand fast. First of all, we are to stand fast because of the current distress, the persecutions and the tribulations. For us, it's you know probably the internet and the news and the cycle that goes on and all the world's issues. Stand fast. We also stand fast because of the coming judgment of this world. And we've been through that. We know that He is coming back and He will come in flaming fire taking vengeance. We learn that in 2 Thessalonians verse one, chapter 1, verse 8. We also need to stand fast because of the strength of the coming deception. You know, it's only going to get worse as time goes by and eventually the deception will be so great that he, after the church is removed, people will believe every single lie that the Antichrist has to say. Most of them. Millions. We also finally stand fast because of our glorious destiny. Don't forget the promise we have. He also says, hold the traditions. Keep a strong grip on the traditions. Now, in Paul's day, the traditions he's referring to was common in the ancient world. Most people could not read or write. And so they were well trained from a young age that when they were being taught, if they had the opportunity to be taught in certain uh, you know, contexts, um, they were well trained in memorizing every single thing that a person said. I mean, a lot of times we're like, well, what did he say? Let me listen to it over again. You know? Let me check his notes, whatever. No, they were well trained in memory, verbal memory. Why? Because they had to pass it on from tradition, on from generation to generation to generation. We, we're, we got, you know, the printing press came. Now we've got all, we've got it all going on right now as far as, we don't have to commit anything to memory. We just, you know, Google it. That's where we're at, right? Instant information. And all true. And of course we know it's all true. But the word tradition, and this is where family is so important. Dads, moms, so important. Your family traditions. You know, they want, your kids are watching you. Mom and dad, they're watching you and the things that you do. And what you hand down to them, they will take and do in their families. Whatever your family traditions are. They will begin. They will do them whether you taught them good or not. And so as we said in Paul's day, the truth of the Gospel began as an oral message proclaimed by Christ to the apostles. Paul had spent time in the desert. He had spent a lot of time alone with Jesus Himself. And Jesus spoke to Paul and told him all kinds of things that had yet to be written down. And so that oral message uh, was written down later by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it became what we call today the Bible, the Holy Scripture. So God's truth was never, ever invented by men, as are some false religions, many, all of them actually, was handed down from God to men. And each generation of believers guarded this truth and passed it on to others. 
He said, stand fast and hold the things that you were taught, whether by our word or our epistle. Now the letters have started to become things that are inspired by God, not only the word of, of Paul, but the letters. This reminds me of this, this standing fast, this understanding and holding to the basics of something, how important it is. Uh, for me, it always reminds me of my experience. Uh, for you know, close to 20 years, I was part of this traditional martial arts world. And no matter how far advanced you might progress as a, as a karateka, as we would say, um, no matter how far advanced you, you might progress, we were always reminded that uh, everyone was a student of the basics. What are we talking about? Well, one of the things is learning how to do a proper stance. When you watch Korea. Some of you have a, a trained in martial arts. You understand how important your stance is because that provides your, your foundation. And if, if you don't have a strong foundation, when you go to apply it, you know, in let's say a sparring or a tournament or even perhaps real life, you hope it never happens. Um, if you don't have a strong stance and foundation, well, it would be easy for you to get swept off your feet or knocked over. And so that foundation that you and I build upon, our understanding of our faith, the Word of God is so important. And Scripture memory is a good in fact, a great advantage needed for our times. Because remember, this was something that they would have been very well trained at. Um, and the early church scripture memory was a necessity. And they often, as I said, couldn't read or write. But they had to learn the art of detailed memorization in order to pass it along. And that's something important for us as well, scripture memory. The same principle applies to our Christian walk. We need to understand our salvation. We need to guard it. And next we're going to talk about the fact that we need to practice it. It's one thing to have all this information, right? To be all full of God's Word, but you have to get out there and practice it. This is always where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? It's not enough, whereas we would say, it's not enough to believe the truth and guard it. You must also practice it. He says, if you and I, if we hear the word but do not obey it, we are only fooling ourselves. James 1, 22 and 25. And so he says in our last two verses for today, verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. In other words, Paul says, you know, I'm praying to the Sovereign, our Father. He continues to hold His church up in prayer. We prayed for a, a fellow church, a church right now that we were made aware of this morning and reminded of the struggle that they particular, this particular local church is going through and we prayed for them this morning. And he says, now... May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father. And so now he's praying in light of the love and the gifts of grace that God provides. Who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Notice, if you will, if you're a Bible student and you, you, you want to study a little bit about uh, the Trinity and, and people try to come against the Trinity or the deity of Jesus Christ, the word he uses, uh, has loved us. He's already said 
the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. So he's not talking about two separate gods. He says, has loved us and given us. That's a singular masculine verb and that affirms the deity of Christ. For those, there are people out there that will say, well, Jesus was, you know, he was the Son of God, but he wasn't God the Son. There's people out there that are, will approach you and they will call themselves Christians, but they will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, here's another example. A singular masculine verb that affirms the deity of Christ. And then he says, everlasting consolation. In other words, without end. It's never to cease. What is consolation? It's not just some prize that you get. Like, oh, oh, here's, here's a consolation for you. No. It's comfort and solace. That's something I certainly would want. Everlasting comfort and peace. And he says, and good hope by grace. Now, good is pleasant, it's agreeable, it's joyful, it's happy, and good hope. Now, anytime you see hope in the New Testament that always speaks of something good, it never speaks of something bad, and it certainly doesn't speak of something that's possible. You know, might be. You might have hope for some, you know, for your favorite team to win this afternoon. You're hoping for your team to win. No, uh, if you're a Christian, you have the hope. Not by chance, but you have the eternal hope of Jesus Christ and His love for you and the Father as well. Being strengthened, He says, I'm praying for you to be comforted and strengthened by His enabling power. The Comforter, Jesus, uh, excuse me, God, the Holy Spirit, brings comfort to our hearts as He, he reminds us, parakaleo. He encourages us and He strengthens us. He's already, Paul has already comforted them by sending them Timothy. He's encouraged them to walk in a manner pleasing before God. This is what we always say. We keep repeating the basics of our lives in Christ. To grow in their love for others. We see that happening. He's given them solid instruction about the rapture of the church so they can comfort one another and not argue about it. (laughs) And He's calmed their fears over the coming day of the Lord. He's a good pastor. He's a good pastor. And He loves this church. And he says, and establish you in every good work, word and work. In other words, to be established is to be made firm. You're not wondering if I have my salvation. Did I lose my salvation? What do I believe now? Is God's word true? Oh, the whole world wants to shed doubt and cast fear upon my life. No, you are solid in your standing and made firm and established in every good work and word. And that's what you do. And that's how you live your life. You and I live between the fall of man and the ultimate redemption of those who will be found in Christ. That's, that's where we're at right now. It's a world of death, and it's a world of suffering. It's a world of pain. Some, someone wrote, it's dark days between creation and the new creation when you talk about the world and God's plan for the world moving forward. And you and I need everything that God has for us. Everything He's offering us. We need His Word. We need His Spirit. We need His power to stand firm. We need His comfort. And we need His hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, uh, we just pray. We're going we're gonna to close with a song. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to ask you guys to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 through 5, and I think we also have those verses. I'm going to ask you to stand. Worship team's going to come up. 
but I'm going to ask you to stand if you can, and we're going to read that scripture together. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21. And as you're finding your place, I'm going to step back here because we're going to lead a song right after that. And I will read it. I'm not turning my back on you, but I'm going to look over there and read it with you, okay? So we're going to begin. Revelation. Let's go. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with them, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. Then He stepped out of the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. Right, for these words are true and faithful. Bow our heads. Lord, we thank You for all that You're doing in our lives. We thank You for the promise that we have together in You. May we be comforted by Your Word. May You go before us this week so that we might not only be blessed in You, but be a blessing to others. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And everyone says, Once again, it traces the steps of salvation.
today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.